The mission is simple, to help high achievers naturally eliminate emotional and physical obstacles so they can optimize their life for higher achievement. Welcome. You have just entered the Genesis Zone. Good day and welcome to the Genesis Zone Show. This is Dr. Brian Brown. Thank you for taking time out of your busy, busy Thursday uh, schedule to join us right now. I never take that for granted and I always appreciate you guys. Uh, have you ever had someone you love uh, struggle with or even even die from Alzheimer's? I know I have. I've lost four people in my life to Alzheimer's. It's a horrible disease. In fact, I mean, I've often said that you lose that person long before the, the body physically dies. Well, have you ever worried that Alzheimer's could affect you as well? If so, you're not alone. Uh, I'm going to say uh, that hands down is probably one of the most common worries that I see in the clinic on a functional medicine side where people come in and say, listen, my mother, my grandmother had Alzheimer's. I don't want to go through that. I want to do everything I can to avoid that. Well, I'm going to say that we are on the verge of some of the best breakthroughs in Alzheimer's research that we've ever seen in decades. In the decades that we've been doing this research, we're on the verge of some major breakthroughs. And today I'm going to be sharing some of those breakthroughs with you. Um, and they're things that we can take advantage of now. Um, there are a couple of caveats there, and I'll talk about those as we go through the uh, the show. But we can take advantage of these right now. Um, but first, I want to give a brief update on uh, the psilocybin series that I did last month. Uh, I promised that I would keep you up to date on any new developments or breakthroughs that were coming out. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. So several weeks ago, I shared in my series on psilocybin that researchers discovered uh, in a head-to-head study with a very popular SSRI antidepressant that two doses of psilocybin 25 milligrams outperformed over a month's worth of daily dosing of that antidepressant. Now, researchers from this same group have released data from the second arm of that clinical trial. And they discovered that psilocybin 25 milligrams is highly effective as an adjunct therapy. Adjunct, just a clinical term for add-on. It's an add-on therapy. So it's psilocybin 25 milligrams is highly effective as an add-on therapy to existing SSRI treatment regimens. Now, this doesn't surprise me in the least. I mean, clinically, having 24 years of psychiatric background, um, it it just doesn't surprise me. I mean, after all, uh, alone, by itself, psilocybin 25 milligrams in in the previous arm of the study outperformed the SSRI. So why wouldn't it enhance its outcome? Uh, that's That's not surprising. Uh, what's, what is surprising is, okay, what we didn't have was the safety data. We've got the efficacy data. We know that it's very effective in treating depression, but we didn't have the safety data on whether or not we could combine psilocybin with SSRIs. Now we have that safety data. And what this study, this arm of the study actually showed, it was very safe, not only effective, but very safe. So I just wanted to bring that as an update so that you could be aware that psilocybin in extremely low doses for some people will be a standalone therapy. 
For other people, it will be an add-on therapy or an adjunct therapy. Why is that? What makes the difference between the two? Well, a treatment-naive person or a person who's never been on an antidepressant may find themselves on a, uh, a, a, a an occasional dose every week, every two weeks dose of psilocybin versus a daily dose of an SSRI. So their clinician may choose to start with psilocybin first, which is, which will be a great choice. And then there may be those who are already on SSRIs. And I can tell you from clinical experience, if I've got a person that has had a 60% improvement with an existing therapy, and I know I can combine another therapy with that to get them a hundred percent improvement, I'm probably going to leave the existing therapy alone. So having this information is actually a major coup for psychiatric professionals, mental health professionals, as we learn to navigate the waters of what it's like to prescribe psilocybin. Now, in, in the state that I live in, and actually 47 states right now, you can't prescribe psilocybin. You just can't do it. It's coming. Uh, there are policies being put in place now on a professional level that are opening up doors for when this happens, we, we will be able to do it. But right now we can't do it, but we're getting prepared and we're getting educated. And I want the public to be educated as well, because I think this is life changing. Um, now I want to switch gears a little bit. And I want to move into the world of uh, gene research. This one really, really, really excites me. Uh, scientists working with uh, mice have found a way to reverse genetic hearing loss. Now that's that, that hearing loss that kind of tends to run in families. Um, you'll see it start in early childhood in humans. Uh, it starts in early childhood and progresses until there's total hearing loss. Every now and then you'll see it, see it start a little bit later, like in teens or 20s. And it will also progress until a person loses their hearing. I've got a friend that did that, started developing that problem in his 20s, and has progressed until he's de dependent on hearing aids because he's legally deaf without them. Um, now, genetically, mice and humans share very similar uh, ear anatomy. The, the anatomy is very similar. Um, and the anatomy that I'm going to be talking about here related to this specific gene and this genetic disorder affects the the, the hair-like fibers, we call them ciliary fibers in the inner ear. That's behind the eardrum. And these ciliary fibers uh, stimulate the nerves that transmit the signal to the brain or in, and, and they're interpreted as sound. Now, what they found is in this genetic disorder is that these ciliary fibers are tangled up like, um, like a bunch of, like a bowl of spaghetti. Uh, therefore they don't, they don't, uh, they're not easily stimulated. They're not easily moved, uh, because they're all tangled. What they should look like is a, a row of very neat pencils that have been sharpened and stacked in a row and they can, and, and they can just kind of flow with the wind, move with the wind. Uh, they move very, very easily. Uh, but in the, in, in this genetic deficiency, we've got the tangled ciliary fibers or these hair fibers. Now, through an amazing breakthrough, uh, scientists at Boston Children's Hospital were able to modify uh, this aberrant gene, this bad gene, um, and, and modify the genetic pathway that it's in uh, that causes this genetic deafness. And, and they were, by doing so, they were able to restore 
normal ciliary function to this inner ear component, uh, these small hair-like fiber structures. Now, what's amazing about that, that, I mean, just just by itself, that alone is absolutely amazing. But what's even more amazing is, is that they expected to have some hearing improvement. What they found was, is that they had total hearing restoration. Now, I don't know about you, but I know kids that have had to have brain surgery to have cochlear implants uh, put in uh, so they can hear. And um, this could potentially uh, eliminate probably, I I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but around 60% of those cases. Uh, That's astronomical numbers, guys. And the only thing we have to do at this point is see whether or not this gene therapy can actually be translated into human use. We have a lot of similarities in the anatomy and the genetic structures with mice. So I am pretty sure that we're on the cusp of something really, really big when it comes to restoring this genetic hearing loss. Um, Now let's go on to today's topic. It goes without saying that uh, exercise in the right amounts at the right frequency and the right intensity are good for you. Uh, It's good for your heart. It's good for your blood vessels. It's good for your metabolism. It's good for your blood flow in the heart and in the brain. And it's good for controlling inflammation and improving brain function. Now, for years, scientists have wanted, uh, they've, they've desperately wanted to isolate the chemical constituents that caused these positive changes. They've hypothesized that they were there, but they couldn't quite identify them. That that is until now. Um, A study published in Nature Journal about seven days ago revealed that um, the plasma, which is the protein component of your blood, the plasma of mice who run and exercise and are more active than the other mice in the community Uh, their plasma contains high levels of a protein structure called clusterin, or we'll we'll call it CLU for short. And this CLU protein has significant health-promoting properties, such as clearing out dead cellular debris and causing uh, a process called apoptosis. When you hear apoptosis, the, the central word there is pop. I want you to think of bursting, popping, okay? That's what apoptosis is. So when your body identifies a mutated cell, it will, it should, in a healthy, in a healthy body, it should identify that mutated cell as it doesn't need to be here. And it calls in the troops to cause apoptosis or bursting or killing programmed death of that cell. It's a necessary process. Without it, we would be eaten up with cancer. Uh, Every single person walking on the planet has cancer cells in their body. And you may not know that. That may be the first time you've heard it. But through this process called apoptosis, our immune system, our body takes care of it. Now, we know we've known for a while that CLU, this protein, is involved in this apoptosis process, and it's also involved, involved in the autophagy process of clearing out the dead cellular debris. 
Okay. And you may have heard about autophagy in reference to intermittent fasting. That's one way to increase your autophagy is to intermittent fast, but that's totally separate conversation. So understand that these mice that are healthier, they exercise more, they're more active. They have these high levels of this protein called CLU. Therefore, they're able to clear out cellular debris at a very rapid rate. And they're able to take care of these mutated cells that need to be killed and cleared out of the body. So what's so amazing about this? Well, the astonishing thing that happened was that these scientists decided um, or, or they pondered the question, they, they had the query, what if we transfused the plasma from these healthy active mice with these high CLU levels? What if we transfused that plasma into a sedentary mouse with low CLU levels? And an amazing thing occurred. The inflammatory genes in the brains of the sedentary mice were downregulated. In other words, the bad genes were cut off and the good genes were turned on. In other words, that translates into neurological inflammation or brain inflammation simply just disappeared. So much so that when they decide when they saw this phenomena, they said, "Why don't we why don't we do some memory tests with these with these uh, sedentary mice who have received this transfusion?" of this healthy uh, plasma. And what they found was, is that the memory function of these sedentary mice improved. Not only did their brain inflammation decrease, but their memory improved. That's huge, guys. The fact that plasma CLU can be transferred from one mouse to another, it only opens up the door for human studies of the same design, which could very well uh, revolutionize Alzheimer's treatment, Alzheimer's research uh, as we know it. And I really do think that uh, this is the future. Epigen- this is epigenetic modification at its best. We, and we, know, we know that exercise is healthy. We know it has an epigenetic impact on the body. Now we're starting to see that maybe possibly we can transfer that epigenetic positive impact from one being to another just with a plasma transfer. I don't know. We'll see. I'll keep you posted on this. Uh, Similarly, just two days ago, there was research um, published by the University of Queensland, and they found uh, a quote-unquote sweet spot of exercise that actually reverses cognitive decline. Now, that's a bold statement. That is actually from the title of the study. They said it reverses cognitive decline. Now, in order to make a bold statement like that and get away with it, uh, you got to have some really good data. They just happen to have 10 years worth of data. That's how long it took them to conduct this study and run all their trials and find this quote-unquote sweet spot. Now, how did they define this sweet spot that actually reversed cognitive decline? Well, they define this sweet spot as a as this zone whereby the, the body, through exercise, releases growth hormone to the point that the growth hormone promotes neurogenesis or the production uh, uh, and growth of new neurons in the brain. 
Now, again, these studies, both of these studies were conducted in mice. So uh, with this particular study, uh, I did not, they actually talked about the timing, the duration, and the type of exercise that these mouse uh, are per, 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 uh, underwent um, to, in order to achieve that sweet spot. But I chose not to talk to you about the timing, duration, or type of exercise because it was done with mice. And I don't want somebody to extrapolate that Dr. Bryan said, if we exercise for this length of time, uh, this many days per week, and this type of exercise, that we would be able to reverse cognitive decline. We can't make that, that determination right now because this study was done with mice. But what it does is it opens the door for further research in humans. And that will be the next step that the University of Queensland and others around the world who pick up on this research study take and run with, and it will happen. So again, I'll keep you posted on what, what is happening in the world of Alzheimer's research, brain research, and, and things like that. Um, I, I think it's the penultimate um, of, of biohacking, if you will, when we can start to biohack the brain to the point where we don't have to worry about uh, dementia or Alzheimer's or anything like that. Uh, that's all I've got for today. That was a power packed episode, huh? I mean, last week we talked about um, Alzheimer's and its relationship to Viagra, Viagra actually decreasing the risk for Alzheimer's. I mean, come on, who who would have ever thought? And this week we talked more about um, mouse studies that are going to lead into some human studies related to exercise and the benefits that exercise, even if you're not exercising and it gets transfused into you through plasma, healthy plasma. I don't know. Who knows? We'll find out. Um, but that's all I've got for this week. Tune in next Thursday at noon Eastern Standard Time for our next In the Zone segment, where I'll be sharing the latest research and my insights about that research as it relates to optimizing your physical, emotional, uh, and biohacking epigenetic wellness journey. Uh, most informed, most trusted, and most grateful you spent this time with you, with, with us today. Until next time, stay in the zone. I'm Dr. Brian Brown.